0: Hi, my name is Jonathan. I am one of the pastors here at Heights, and we're so glad that you found us online. You know, at Heights, it is our desire to love and lead all people to a new life with Christ. And one of the ways that we strive to do that is by posting weekly content at all of the places, on Facebook and on YouTube, on Instagram. We even have our own website where we're constantly posting things as well. If you're checking us out for the first time, you can go to heightschurch.org connect and let us know that you found us. And once again, we're so glad that you're here have your Bible with you today. Let's go to Mark chapter 2. And so Mark chapter 2, if you've got a Bible to turn on or open up, is where we'll be. If you're new in the Bible and you just kind of open it up and say, man, where's Mark? And you open to the middle and you see a, a book called Psalms, just kind of hang a right. Mark is in the New Testament, so it'll be Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But we'll be in Mark chapter 2 today. Uh, we are moving through a series through Mark's gospel. And what we're going to be doing is taking a sermon, a chapter a week. And so that's going to take us right up to Easter Sunday, Lord willing, Mark chapter 16. And so next week will be Mark chapter 3. And I'm going to invite you already back for next week because next week uh, we are going to be picking out the hardest verses of Mark chapter 3, talking about the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. And can you be forgiven of that? And what's this thing called the unpardonable sin? So what we're going to do each week is just a challenge to ourselves. We're going to kind of really focus in on some of the hardest verses of the chapter. And uh, and so you know, be reading ahead. Mark chapter three is next week, but this week is Mark chapter two, and we're going to pick up in verse 18. And so I'm going to invite you to stand as we read the word of God together. Mark chapter two, in verse 18. Mark writes, now John's disciples, and when it says John's disciples, that's going to be John the Baptist. So now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. is for fresh wine skins. And this is the word of God that we believe that he wrote for the people of God so we might know him better and live our lives for him. You may be seated. You know, back in December, 2020, uh, I contracted COVID. And many of you know that story, but uh, if you're new with us, I I had COVID and I I had it pretty bad. Uh, Within the first week of having COVID, I I lost 10 pounds. I really wasn't able to eat or drink anything. Uh, almost ended up in the hospital off of dehydration, and uh, and so really, I just, and, and I had a lot of long-term effects from COVID, so I was kind of one of those long-timers, you know, that, that they say on the recovery period, most of 2021, it took for me to recover. Now, I'm feeling better right back at 100%, but one of the things that COVID left behind for me was a lot of inflammation issues within my lungs and around my heart and in my chest and just through my body, and so a lot of 2021, I spent doing lung rehab therapy. I uh, had to learn to breathe again with a lot of breathing exercises because I was running out of breath when I was in front of people talking. I mean, no big deal, right? Just as a Pastor, I don't, I don't need breath all the time, right? And you know, so had all these issues, a lot of pain in my chest, and so I did a, had a lot of doctors' appointments, a lot of medicines, medicines I'm still on that they say you'll probably be on just really the rest of your life, uh, and just all these therapies I had to go through. And finally, about September, it's September, October last year, I was, I was meeting with a, the last doctor I saw, and she said, "Listen." you've done all the therapies, you've done the lung rehab, you've done the breathing exercises, you're on the medicines, you got to keep taking. But I think there's one more thing you need to do to get rid of all the inflammation within your chest, around your lungs, and through your body. She said, you've got to stop eating certain foods, and you got to start eating new foods. And she handed me a list, she handed me a piece of paper, and there I was, and on one side of the piece of paper, it was like, these are all the foods you can no longer eat. And on this side of the paper, these are all the foods you need to eat. All right. So mind you, I've been at this game, medicines, doctor's appointments, tests, almost six, seven months. I take this piece of paper. I look at it. and Within about 30 seconds, I look it back at her and I say this. Okay, if I eat all these new foods and I get better... When can I start eating all the old foods again, (laughs) right? When can I start mixing the old back with the new? When can I mix the old and the new? You know, I I think for a lot of Christians, that's how they try to follow Christ. Jesus, I want you to give me new life. Jesus, I need you to do something new in my life. But Jesus, I want to mix a lot of my old life in with this new life. I want to mix the old with the new. Have you struggled with that? I mean, maybe there's some old anxieties you have, some old worries you're hanging on to. Maybe there's some old unforgiveness in your heart. Maybe there's an old sin you've been carrying around for a long, long period of time that you've not confessed, you've not turned from, you're kind of hiding and and you're holding on to. I mean, how are you this morning struggling, maybe just like I was, wanting to mix the old in with the new? But here's what I want you to see. In the Christian life, that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not the way it works. Jesus, when he comes in, Jesus says, I change everything. When you follow Christ, he changes everything. And I want you to see that this morning as we move through this text, that Jesus Changes everything. I want you to notice first in verses 18 through 19 how Jesus really reminds us that he brings joy, not sorrow. When he came to this earth, he came to bring joy, not sorrow. Pick up in verse 18. You see in verse 18 that John's disciples, now again, that's going to be John the Baptist, and the Pharisees were fasting. And then the Pharisees come up to Jesus and they're like, wait a minute, John's disciples are fasting. We're fasting, but your disciples aren't fasting, verse 18 says. So so what's the big deal here? You know, John's disciples are, are probably fasting because Mark chapter 1, verse 14 tells us that John is in prison at this point. Uh, King Herod has had John uh, arrested and in prison because John the Baptist has spoken out against Herod. He had divorced his wife and married his cousin. And John in a sermon was like, hey man, that's, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. You're breaking Old Testament law and, and, and that's wrong. And so Herod had him thrown in prison. So maybe John's disciples are fasting, praying, God, we want to see John out of prison. Pharisees are fasting. Uh, they at this point were fasting on Mondays and Thursdays. Now, there was only one required fast in the Old Testament. That was the Day of the Atonement. But Pharisees at this point kind of were saying, hey, well, you know, look, look at us. We're, we're checking all the boxes. We're adding on to this. This is just a way for us to get in God's good graces. We'll, we'll fast Mondays and Thursdays. But Jesus, your guys aren't fasting. Why are they not fasting? And Jesus answers it with the parable in verse 19. And Jesus said to them, the wedding guests... Fast while, and, excuse me, Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. What Jesus here is saying in this story is essentially pretty easy to understand. He's number one, the bridegroom, or your translation might say groom. All right, so Jesus is the groom. The guests are the disciples. Now, I, I know you've been to some weddings hopefully you have never been to a wedding where there was mourning. There has not been a wedding where they were sad. You know, there is no wedding you went to where there was weeping and gnashing of the teeth, right? You know, what happens at a wedding? It should be pretty upbeat. It's a joyous occasion. It's a party, right? It's a celebration. And Jesus in this story is saying, listen, I'm here. The groom is here. The Messiah has come. The Savior is here. This is not a time to mourn and be sorrowful. This is a time to have joy because I'm on the scene. It's a celebration. You're not fasting during a celebration because I'm here. And we're partying because I'm on the scene. Yeah, I don't know if you were ever um, part of this kind of a church. Maybe you grew up in this church. But uh, there's a, a, a church one time where the family was sitting there in the pews and had a young kid with them and and the you know young boy he's just he's kind of turning around and smiling at the people behind him, making faces and, you know they were laughing and he was laughing and yeah he's like 5 or 6 and he's he's turning around every so often he'd smile and kind of giggle and laugh and finally the mom caught on to what was happening and she leaned down and she gave that mom whisper you ever had that want mom whisper growing up? That whisper of, I love you, but I will take you off of this planet right now, kind of tone, right? You, you with me? With me? Anybody? Or am I the only one? If I'm the only one, you know how to pray for me at the end of the service, okay? I mean, because I was that kid in church every once in a while. I will drag you out of here if you don't behave, right? And So she just, she just leans down and she says, you will stop that right now. We do not smile in church. (laughs) This is church. We don't smile here. I don't want to be that kind of church. Do you? No. When we get together, I want to clap. I want to smile. I want to laugh. I want to raise hands. I want to hug necks. I want to celebrate. Why? Because every time we gather. We have something to celebrate. We have someone to celebrate. And his name's Jesus, right? Every week we get together. We have news to celebrate that this Jesus came, this Jesus died, this Jesus rose, this Jesus is coming again. And every week we come together, we celebrate this Jesus is King. Amen. Amen. And that's the life of a Christian is it going to be hard at times yes is there going to be mourning and sadness and sorrow and pain and anxiety and worries and difficulties yes but at the end of the day what ought to mark you as a believer is no matter how hard the day was when i lay my head on the pillow i can say when i wake in the morning there's still joy in my heart because his mercies are new every morning. Jesus brought joy, not sorrow. Now notice though he says there is a time in which they will fast. Did you notice that? He said now that there's coming a time where they will fast. Verse 20, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast in that day. Now that phrase taken away uh, in in the Greek, it's real emphatic. I mean, it's a very, very strong term. It means to be snatched away from, So Jesus is saying there's coming a day, and this is one of your earliest prediction in Mark's gospel of his death. There's coming a time Jesus is saying, I'm going to be snatched away. I'm going to be dragged away. I'm going to be taken away. What's he pointing to? He's pointing to you to that Roman cross says there's coming a time I'm going to die on a Roman cross. And and that's what he did. He he died for you. He died for your sin. He died in your place. He died to take the wrath of God upon himself for you. And so then he says, okay, now it's time to fast. Now now what's fasting? And and should we still fast today? I, I know fasting is something not a lot of Christians talk about or or as Baptists, we don't always practice fasting, so what is it? Well, let me, let me just describe fasting to you, I think, just in the simplest terms I can to uh, hopefully maybe uh, help you understand. But but fasting is letting go of a physical need for a spiritual plea. Okay, that's fasting, right? I'm letting go of a physical need for a time for a spiritual plea, right? So you see in the Bible, fasting of food or drink, maybe it's a day or a a meal, or a week, or, you know, uh, two weeks, to where you say, okay, you know, on on Monday, I'm not going to eat lunch, all right? I'm going to let go of my physical need for food, and then I'm going to replace that time of eating lunch with seeking the Lord for a spiritual reason. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute, I can't fast from food or drink, just medically can't do that with medicines. Okay, Pick something else, physical, you could fast from. Maybe you want to fast, you know, a, a day of no TV. And then I'm going to spend that time, again, seeking the Lord spiritually. Fast from your cell phone, uh, you know, one day. I, I send 9 o'clock service. Maybe you want to fast from working out, you know, every so often. Everybody's like, amen, woo! Get behind that kind of fast, right? right no workout, you know I mean? Just whatever physically you say you want to lay aside, and I'm going to lay aside this for a time in order to seek the Lord spiritually. That's fasting. You know, there's fasting all through the Bible. Jesus fasted in the wilderness when he was being tempted by Satan. Paul fasted. Acts chapter 13, church of Antioch fasted while they prayed to send out missionaries and prayed to raise up pastors, right? There's fasting all throughout. And so in your life, if you've never fasted, give it a shot. Give it a try. Just say, okay, I'm going to lay aside something physically for a time in order to seek the Lord spiritually. But what I want you to notice is Jesus came to bring joy and not sorrow. Because with Jesus, everything changes. So then he tells another parable. And in this second story, he's going to show you this. That Jesus came to bring new things, not just continue with the old things. Jesus came to do something new, not just continue with the old. So Let's pick back up in the text. Verse 21, he tells them two more parables. He says, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. He says, no one puts new wine into old wine skins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and if the wine is destroyed, so are the skins, but new wine is for fresh wine wine skins, all right? So again, pretty, pretty easy parables to understand, but understand a little bit of what's happening in salvation history here within this context. So you had the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and the Jews, who they're under the old covenant. And they're saying, okay, well, we have a covenant. We have a way to, to get to God, and this is the way we get to God. We, we keep the law. We obey everything perfectly. And when we do that, uh, then we can have a relationship with God. But here comes Jesus. And Jesus is saying, whoa, whoa, hang on. I'm not here just to continue with the old. I'm here to bring new. I'm the way to God. You come to God through me. You you come to God through faith in me. And that's where the rub's going to come with the Pharisees, because they're like, whoa, whoa, hang on. We got the old. We don't need anything new. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. You need new, and I'm new. writer of Hebrews says it this way. He says, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry as much more excellent than the old covenant as he mediates is better since it is enacted with better promises. So he's saying this as a follower of Christ, it's not about attaching old life with new life. It's not mixing in old things with new things. You want to attach something old to new and that first parable is going to tear away. But what about the second parable? You want to put new wine in old wine skins. The old wine skins are going to burst. So back in this culture in this time when a when a, a goat was slaughtered, they would try to, you know, skin the goat pretty much whole. And then they would tan that skin. They put new wine in that in that new skin. And what would happen during the fermentation process, that, that new wineskin could stretch and it could hold the new wine while it was being fermented. But if you took new wine and you put it in an old, brittle, used wineskin during that fermentation process, it couldn't, it couldn't stretch, it couldn't expand, so it would burst and all that wine would be useless. It'd spill out. And that's what Jesus is saying. That, guys, I'm not here to just continue with the, with the old life. I'm here to bring new life because with me, everything changes. But that's the rub, isn't it? That's the hard part to kind of stomach because we like the old. We want to mix the old in with the new. I mean, maybe you were just like me in that doctor's office and you just got handed a sheet of paper by Jesus and you're thinking, wait a minute. I like a lot of these old foods on the left side of the piece of paper. Sure, I'll try some of the right side stuff. But when can I bring the old in with the new? Jesus says, no. You want to follow me, you leave the old life behind. You put the hand to the plow, Luke chapter 9 says, and you don't look back. Well, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, you're looking ahead. You're not driving the car and looking through the rearview mirror. You're pressing on. But that's the rub that we really get into. Honestly, that's the problem a lot of people have with Jesus. But I, I want to just work you in, Jesus, when I want to. Jesus, sure, I'll follow you, I'll love you, but when it's convenient. Jesus, when it's easy, like don't, don't, don't ask too much out of me, right? Just, just Jesus, when I, when I get around to it, I'll follow you. And this is the rub that we get in with Jesus. This was the problem that Jesus had with the Pharisees as well. Let's, let's go up to chapter uh, 2, verse 13. And, and, and let me show you this. Because this is really at the end of the day where the Pharisees had the biggest problem with Christ. When it comes down to Jesus saying, I'm stopping the old and I'm bringing in the new. Look at verse 13. It says, when he went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him. And he was uh, teaching them. Verse 14, he passed by and he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. He said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to Jesus, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Guys, this is not just an inquisitive question. This is an accusation. This is the Pharisees and scribes going, wait, hang on. This guy says he's the Messiah. This guy says he's the Savior. Does he not know who he's really with? Because here we are. We're we're the good people. We're the moral people. We're we're the upstanding citizens. We're the the temple-going people. We're the Bible-reading people. We're the praying people. Jesus should be over here with us. We're, We're the ones who keep the rules. And by doing all this, God loves us because we're the good people. But over here, these are the tax collectors and sinners. Why is he over here? Does he not know who he's with? Because he can't be Messiah if he's not over here with us. He can't be Messiah if he's over there with them. But you notice what Jesus said? He said, I didn't come to call the the well. I came to call the sick. I came not to call the righteous, but, but sinners unto repentance. Jesus is saying, yeah, I came for you, but I also came for them. Came for this group over here because with me, all things are new. You know, one of the mistakes that I see a lot of Christians making is we want to hang on over here with this group. God, you ought to love me because I'm good, because I'm moral, because I do right. God, you ought to bless me because I read my Bible and I pray. And I show up, and I serve, and I give, and I tithe. Lord, you ought to love me because of who I am and what I do. But we have long forgotten that we're really over here with this group. There's a lot of Christians today who have forgotten the words of Newton and Wesley I once was lost, but now I'm found. Once was blind, but now I see. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, would die for a sinner like me? This morning, it's not about mixing the old life in with the new. It's coming to Christ and saying, Jesus, I'm following you. And whatever you call me, whatever you say, that's the life in which i'm following because with jesus he changes everything i want to thank you so much for watching today's message and i want to simply ask you a question is there a time in your life that you have given your life to jesus christ as the lord and savior of your life have you come to know him now you might say well i know jesus I've heard about him, I mean, you just preached about him, I've been in church before, but that's not the question I'm asking you. Is there a time that you have given your life over to Jesus? Where you have invited him in your life and simply said, Jesus, you now are the Lord and Savior of my life. I like to explain it this way, have you given him the username and password of your life? Does he have access to all accounts in your life? See, the Bible says that we need to place our faith and our trust in Jesus in order to be saved. In order to have our sin forgiven have a relationship with god now and to be in heaven with god throughout all of eternity we need to trust in the work of jesus christ on the cross and through the resurrection now you today may be ready to do that but you say i I don't know how to do that how do i place my faith and trust in jesus well the bible says this that we call out on the name of the lord i love what romans chapters 10 in verse 13 says it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And when it says call on the name of the Lord, you know what that means? Just to pray. To say, you know what? I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And maybe you're watching this and say, I, I don't know how to pray. I, I've never done that. Well, I want to invite you to follow along with me. And if it's on your heart and your mind today to say, I'm ready to be a Christian. I'm ready to follow Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of my life then I'm going to invite you right now to pray with me. And so just right where you are, you can call out to him and simply say something like this. Dear God, today I call out to Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I place my faith and my trust in him to be my Savior. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin and giving me life forever with you, God pray in Christ's name. Amen. You know, friend, if you've prayed with me today, no matter where you are, we'd love to follow up with you. You can simply go to heightschurch.org connect. That's going to take you to our website. Right there on the website, you click decision and you let me know you've made that decision, that you've prayed that prayer with me. I'm going to be in touch with you. That information is going to come right to me and we'll help you take your next step of faith. And so thank you for watching today. I encourage you to subscribe to our Facebook page and our YouTube page so you stay current with all of our digital content. If you're ever in our area, we'd love to see you in person at a service at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. on a Sunday morning. So till we see each other again, God bless.